0: What's up guys and welcome to the first episode of Ahsoka breakdown. I had a fantastic time last night at the watch party with over 11,000 of you there. It was really great to get back to the original roots of the channel with the watch parties. So a lot happened in this premiere. There were two episodes obviously, but in this first one, let's cover episode 1 and then the next part of this video will cover episode 2. So the episode starts off with a red scroll as we get caught up with the timeline. So this is several years after Return of the Jedi. This is a few years after the end of Darth Vader and the Emperor. The Empire has fallen and the new Republic has risen, while agents of the darkness are at work to break the peace. A plot is underway to find Grand Admiral Thrawn and bring him out of exile. The rumors of his return are instilling hope and vengeance in the hearts of remaining Imperials in the galaxy. Hoping to start a new war, former Jedi Knight, And this is where I saw a lot of people in the chat were kind of confused when it said former Jedi Knight. The reason for this, I believe, is because Ahsoka Tano left the Jedi Order, so she doesn't see herself as a Jedi anymore. I am no Jedi. And at the time of her departure, she was the rank of a Padawan, but clearly now she's definitely the rank of Jedi Knight. So Dave calls it former. Morgan Elsbeth, who we saw in The Mandalorian Season 2, revealed a map that leads to Thrawn, which is important to the plot. Elsbeth has been captured by Ahsoka and taken in by the new public for trial. As the crawl rolls away, a massive New Republic ship flies into the scene, much like how A New Hope started with the Tantive IV escaping from the Superstar Star Destroyer. As we meet the New Republic crew inside, they're being approached by a ship who claimed to be Jedi. The captain lets them on board as he scoffs, which to me was kind of ridiculous because it's like, Why have this very dangerous prisoner on board who these mysterious people are clearly asking to see and they say that they're Jedi which are pretty dangerous themselves so he just invites them on board. They give them an old Jedi clearance code and it reminded me of Return of the Jedi where Han tells the Admiral an old code as Vader asks if they have a code and he's told it's an old code sir but it checks out, which of course Admiral Piet met his demise. As the ship lands in the ramp lowers, Balin Skol and Shin Hati both enter the scene, reminding me very much of the prequels with Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi on the Trade Federation ship. The captain can't believe Jedi are all the way out here and he doesn't believe them to be who they say they are. He mocks them and calls them Imperial trash. Balin was very calm and ready to get Elsbeth on a more peaceful route. However, the captain threatened to arrest them after insulting them. To me, this shows that Balin and his apprentice are not as evil as pure Sith would be, because they just walk in and kill them all without any hesitation. He gave them a chance, meaning he has reasoning and maybe some good in him, which Makes sense, since he used to be a Jedi. In an interview with the late Ray Stevenson, may he rest in peace, he mentioned that Balin Skull is a very serious man. He's someone who isn't looking for blood directly, but if you stand in his way, then he is going to clear the path. When Balin orders his apprentice with a simple glance to ignite her orange lightsaber and take them all out, the captain draws his blaster. As Balin controls his hand with the Force, I found this very interesting. If you listen carefully, you can hear the same Force sound that Darth Vader has when he Force chokes someone. Precisely at the moment where Balin's with his open palm, forcing the captain to drop his blaster. I feel like this was him using the same technique of the force to constrict the captain's wrist muscles and tendons, forcing him to drop the weapon. Just a little observation I made. He admits that they aren't Jedi and thrusts his orange blade through the captain's chest. So we know for sure that these guys aren't Jedi, definitely. Balin moves to Elsbeth's cell, having his own hallway scene as he fires blaster bolts at the New Republic troops using the Force. This was a really quick scene, you might have missed it, but they're shooting blasters at him, and then they get shot back with blasters themselves. Elsbeth's door is opened with the Force. Clearly, he is very powerful in the Force, to which he also uses his abilities to uncuff her to freedom. She informs him Ahsoka put her in there, and we switch scenes to where Ahsoka is at. Massive world-building scene here as she walks on the planet Arcana. This is a stronghold built by the Knight Sisters of Dathomir. Now, the Knight Sisters were magic-wielding beings who were very powerful and very dangerous witches that could rival even the most powerful Force users like Palpatine. Mother Talzin was amongst the most powerful of her time. She also gave Maul his cybernetic legs after becoming a spider, and she ended up fighting Palpatine, Grievous, and Dooku both in the Clone Wars and in the comics. Ahsoka uses her sabers to twirl down into the tomb. This reminded me of Anakin and Obi-Wan doing this in Revenge of the Sith aboard the Invisible Hand ship as they escaped Grievous. Now, this whole place that she drops into looks something straight out of Jedi Fallen Order, the video game. It almost looks like the Knight Sisters had ties to the ancient Zepho, which we still don't know all that much about. She sees inscriptions on the wall and statues engraved holding a gold orb. She leans into one of the three pillars to meditate and hear the echoes making me wonder if she has some sort of psychometry like Cal Kestis or Quinlan Voss but To be honest, I just think that she's trying to hear the echoes of the Force to unlock this thing and get the orb map. She twists and turns the pillars in various degrees until they retract into the stone floor as a fourth one from the center of the room rises. This reminded me a lot like the fifth element, especially this piece that came up, which turns into sand, as she uncovers the gold orb within it containing the location of Thrawn and Ezra. She reaches out to Hu Yang, the ancient droid that we saw in the Clone Wars that has been instructing students for hundreds of years on how to construct lightsabers. We did see him in the Clone Wars when all of the Jedi Padawans, or rather the younglings, went to Ilum with Master Yoda. The transmission to Hu Yang is very static, so she jumps out with the map, where she is ambushed by an HK droid. Five of them, to be exact. She fights them, and we see Anakin's apprentice has learned well. She takes them all out in a few moves, and they end up self-destructing. So she runs while they beep, and she jumps into the T-6 Jedi ship at the last second, evading the fire and explosion. She tells Hu Yang to next time stay closer and have her back, where he snarkily replies, as usual, that this is the job of a Jedi Padawan learner to have her back, reminding Ahsoka that she once used to be one. Fleet Command hails Fulcrum, which is her code name and she goes to the ship that Balin and Shin broke Elsbeth out of. Ahsoka meets with Harrison Dula from Rebels, who is played by Ewan McGregor's wife, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Fun little fact. They go over the hollow recordings of Balin, and Ahsoka learns of their Jedi abilities, but Ahsoka doesn't recognize them at all. And we know from the trailer that Balin knows who Anakin is. And judging by his age, I'm guessing he's around the same age that Anakin would have been. Ahsoka says there are very few Force wielders today. After Order 66, the survivors are slim at this point. Hu Yang will analyze their lightsaber hilts to see if he knows their identity. Ahsoka shows Hera the gold map and informs her this leads to Thrawn, that there are whispers of his survival meaning Ezra is alive too. Hera tells Ahsoka that you know who can help you with this. And at this point, you know, during the live stream, I was pretty excited. I thought they're meaning Luke Skywalker, but no, of course they meant Sabine. Personally, I think we're going to see Luke eventually in the show. I have a hard time believing we won't, as I think he is the most powerful Jedi here in the galaxy. And with such a major threat, I feel like Ahsoka should reach out to him. We swipe to Lothal, where Governor Ryder Azadi is commemorating Ezra and honoring him in memory for sacrificing himself along with the help of Kanan Zeb, Lothwolves, Hera, and Sabine, who is supposed to speak to the crowd, but, typical Sabine, she's nowhere to be found. Behind them is the mural from Rebels with the Ghost crew. So, this show is basically Rebels Season 5, is kind of how it feels like. Governor Azadi asks Kel to step in for Sabine, and you guys might remember Kel. he was with Ezra at the Imperial Academy. They both escaped together, and they joined Azadi's crew. Sabine Wren is racing away on her bike, rebellious as always. We should note also that her Hatch has the Republic Navy insignia and there are cats on her helmet. Sabine goes home to the old communication tower that Ezra used to live in and feeds her cat, revealing her Mandalorian helmet. Activating an old hologram of Ezra and clearly missing him, he talks about the sacrifices that he made to defeat Thrawn which was the ending of Rebels, where Ezra held Thrawn in place as they were transported into hyperspace with the Pergil, the space whales, which we also saw in the trailers. And in episode two, Shin Hattie and Elsbeth are at the Sister tomb on Arcana, where she reveals that she is a witch. Our theories were true. Elsbeth indeed is a survivor of the Night Sisters. This is a very big deal because Night Sisters are pretty much extinct. They're even more rare than Jedi in this time. Palpatine had them pretty much all wiped out except for a few, like Marin and Jedi Survivor, and of course now, Elsbeth. And I think maybe this is why Elsbeth didn't use her magic against Ahsoka because she wanted to remain anonymous. Balin confirms that Ahsoka has the map, and Elsbeth sends Shin to Lothal to kill Sabine, Ahsoka's apprentice, they say. This is a means to draw her out. Sabine hears Ezra's voice in her dreams, and in the background, we see a cool few things here, a scout trooper helmet, as well as a zombie-looking stormtrooper helmet, which reminded me of the novels Red Harvest and Death Troopers, which are about a virus called the Blackwing virus that basically turns you into a zombie. It was a lab study gone wrong, originally intended to make dead flesh come alive again. Anyways, Ahsoka and Sabine meet, she brings her up to speed about the map, hoping that her artistic mind can decipher the orb and open it. If you're new to Rebels, Sabine is very artsy, if you couldn't tell by the color of her hair, or colors. They argue about Ahsoka not being there for Sabine, and Ahsoka says being a Jedi isn't easy, where Sabine says she would have made a good one. The two clearly have a lot of issues to work out, and Hu Yang interrupts them, as he has the information on Balin and Shin's lightsaber hilts from his database. Sabine asks Ahsoka to take the map with her to think clearly. And Ahsoka says no, in case it gets stolen, which could cause an all-out war because she knows that people are searching for it. Sabine, of course, disobeys and vanishes with it to her home. Hu Yang ran an analysis of the lightsabers of Shin Hati and Balin's skull. And I really love this scene because it shows how long Huyang has been around. Now, he couldn't recognize Shin's, but he recognizes Balin's skulls, mentioning that he instructed many students over the years, but there's only one person who created a lightsaber hilt as unique as this one and that belongs to Balin's skull. who disappeared during the end of the Clone Wars, meaning Order 66. A master and apprentice, Ahsoka confirms. So, Balin obviously used his abilities to escape during Order 66, probably to the Unknown Regions or somewhere where no one could find him, and this is how he survived. Now, as for his apprentice, who has a Jedi braid, I believe we can talk about that in perhaps a different video, but I have a lot to say about her for sure. I don't think that she came from the Jedi Temple. I think she was born after Order 66. It just timeline-wise, doesn't make sense with her age. She looks to be a, maybe 20 years old, so I really think that she is his daughter. Or maybe he found her. Sabine goes home to tinker with the map, where a probe droid is sent to track her, as it returns to Shin Hati atop a hill, giving us the similar theme as Darth Maul in The Phantom Menace when he was tracking Anakin Skywalker and Qui-Gon Jinn. I love that Dave's doing this. Hera's hologram calms Ahsoka down regarding Sabine Wren's disobeyment. Hera tells her that she's Mandalorian, that it's expected. Hera mentions how Anakin probably found Ahsoka difficult at times and the complete tone of the scene changes. It becomes very serious, the music changes, it becomes a bit more ominous and Ahsoka becomes very serious and stern, telling her she never finished being trained by Anakin, that she walked away from Anakin, much like she walked away from Sabine in Rebels. Sabine finally opens the map as it expels coordinates. She is ambushed by HK assassin droids who steal it. She grabs Ezra's lightsaber and meets Shin Hati downstairs igniting it they fight and Shin I believe is toying with Sabine or what it seems like because I assume that she's doing this it just wouldn't make sense if Sabine and her are going toe-to-toe equally. Shin has the Force, she's much more powerful, she's been training this entire time her whole life, whereas Sabine hasn't been. Shin has a Padawan braid, which Sith don't have, meaning that she is trained probably in both ways of the Force making her very dangerous, and I would say maybe leading more into the ideals of the Jedi than not, which makes them very interesting characters and kind of makes me think that their orange lightsabers are particularly because they used to have blue or green ones, and they're now more so dark like dark jedi but aren't pure sith i'll make a video about that at another time. Ahsoka and Huyang race to Sabine, but not in time as she is stabbed in the side of the stomach, which makes Qui-Gon Jin roll in his grave, probably. This is the end of episode one. Shin Hattie gets away with the map, Sabine is wounded, and then we'll pick up in the next episode. So, first of all, right off the bat, I think this was a fantastic start to the series. The world building was superb. It didn't feel all tight and claustrophobic like the Kenobi show did. The dialogue, the acting, the costumes, and the music were absolutely phenomenal. I feel like there were a few moments where the episode dragged a bit, especially in episode two. However, I feel like the overall story is really interesting and it's keeping me engaged, not to mention, of course, the characters are really important. I'm really excited to see where we go with this new galaxy that we're about to learn of in the next episode. So stay tuned for the next breakdown. I hope you enjoyed episode one. Make sure to leave a like on the vid and let's begin with episode two.